It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am really looking forward to talking with my guest today. Join me as Craig Rosenberg. Craig is co-founder and chief analyst at Topo, a research and advisory firm that helps companies grow faster. He's also the founder of the Funnelholic blog. I'm sure many of you have read that. Craig, welcome to Accelerate. Thanks for having me, Andy. I'm excited. Yeah. I, uh, I've watched you for years, so it's one of those things, you know? And we meet here on Skype. So we meet here on Skype. <laughs> so, you know, I usually have people introduce themselves, and I'll have you do that. But I was going to say that that uh, this connection we have, I haven't seen this for a long time, but you're a fan of one of my favorite authors growing up was Leonard Wiberly, The Mouse That Roared. Yes. And I was like, God, I thought that was a great movie with Peter Sellers. I loved the books. And actually, I read the whole series of books. <laughs> so, which... I, as I said, I haven't found anybody for a long time that uh, was such a big fan as I am. Yeah, well, I, you know, I look for now that we sort of merge our business and uh, personal, so our nonfiction and fiction uh, lives. You know, um, you know, I, I bring that book up or the movie for some, <laughs> the younger folks. Uh, you know, because uh, it's uh, it's relevant when you're sort of talking about. Um, especially for these young companies and, and the, the part of my wording here, but the weaponry at your disposal, the ability to, you know, drive growth is sort of, it's there for you and, and, and mouses certainly can roar and it's such a good book. And, um, it, anyway, I just like to equate it to, uh, you know, what's happening today in business. Um, and it's also, as you said, it's just a incredibly well-written book and a, and a great read. So that's and, funny. Yeah. For, pe- and for people that don't understand the, the, the precept behind the book, premise behind the book is that the small country, the grand duchy of Fenwick, uh, somewhere in Europe, quote unquote, Europe declares war on the U S in order to get uh, financial aid after they lose the war. So small country declaring war on the big guy. Yeah. So yeah, great book. Uh, really urge people if that's available somewhere. I don't even know if it's available. Pick it up or rent the movie with Peter Sellers. So well, anyway, so now we know about uh, literary interests. May tell us how you got your start in sales. Yeah, actually, it was. Uh, um, I was a teacher out of college and coach. And um, what'd you coach? Uh, water polo. Ah, okay. Yeah, and uh, and so it was nothing special. <laughs> the transition into sales because you know I, I, everyone was you know it's like all my friends were either working at Oracle or some uh, some ex Oracle's sales team. You know, right. uh, and yeah, it's so funny how these things change. Like up here now, it's like everything's you know, hiring a Salesforce person back then it was hiring an Oracle, Oracle person. person. Right. And, um, and so I just needed to transition, you know, cause I teaching, I, you know, when I was in teaching, I was, it was wonderful working with the kids, but then you went in the teacher's lounge and these people hated their lives. I mean, it was just depressing. And so I said, well, you know, I still think I could do this, but do I need to do it now? And will I be like these guys in the teacher's lounge 40 years from now? I just gotta, I just gotta make sure and try some other stuff. And, 
the route into sales was easy, you know, and so I was able to go do that. Very interesting. Yeah, because it's, it's not unusual path that people take the people i've interviewed you know 300 plus people now that, that they started a good fortune started to teachers and then moved into sales yeah so it's, water it's, polo i've seen it i definitely have seen it now more often than not again we have a secret handshake that nobody knows about <laughs> and i was just thinking about water polo we just got our uh, since the olympics are just on for many of us that uh, don't live in in california all the time is we sort of get our every four-year fix of water polo yeah, it's uh, it's the time you get to see them on TV. Uh, the women actually are are a dominant force, and uh, my actually one of my best friends wrote a book on that. And um, on the two, you know, the two thousand was the first year they had it in the Olympics, and he wrote for women, book. right? Yeah, and he wrote. I mean, it's the first Olympic team sport on the men's side. On the women's side, it was two thousand, and uh, he writes about how the team. Um, started and got together and um, how they built it and they took the silver in 2000 when the sport was launched and they've been you know um, they've been a dominant meddling team ever since so it's pretty it's pretty cool it was it was great to be involved in it was certainly a niche sport and uh, I just you know I, I, I it was something that I played growing up but um, I just you know love teamwork and love you know what I mean like even if I if water polo wouldn't have had me, at least at some point, it, it was cool to be involved in a in a team sport to just you know be involved in sort of team building and you know all the things that go along with it. And I you know and it's funny because I worked with a couple really great coaches and I've taken a lot of what I learned from them into the business world. So what particular lessons have you taken? Well, for one is just preparation. Um, you know these guys, you just. We just don't see it. You know, we yell at the TV on the weekends at the guys for their one coaching move, but the amount of preparation that goes into building the team and what I, and I don't just mean for a game, right? I mean, I worked for a guy named John Tanner who's at Stanford and he's brilliant. He, he, he you know, he's one of the few coaches at Stanford who went to Stanford. You know, he's just mm -hmm. one of those guys. He's so smart and it's like 365. You know, he's thinking about, the construct of the season months ahead of the season. He's thinking about how he's going to prepare them. He's got a, a playing system that's, you know, basically uh, infused in these players' brains from the minute they get on campus. It's everything is systematic and planned. It's, it's, I'm envious. Still. I tell him all the time, he, he always wants to know what's happening in business. I'm like, if business people could see the amount of preparation you guys put into the, um, the the team. Like, I don't even want to say season. I don't even want to say game. You know what I mean? They're they're just they think the smart ones just think at scale. They think about the entire uh, organization over a long period of time and and their strategy. And uh, it's just it 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 was so good to see. And you know he would always challenge me. I'd say, well, you know, well, what about this place? Like, well, you know, that's fine. But like, is it? You know, how does it fit? right into our overall strategy and plan. And uh, um, it was a real learning. And so it's funny, everyone always wants to know, you know, learn, you know, thinks that I'm going to tell them some story about how we won some game at the last second. And these good coaches, they lift themselves up above that sort of single game. And they're thinking about the biggest picture ever. And I'm not saying they're not, they don't pay attention to details. I think we all know that the great coaches pay attention to details, but they think about 
you know, the system and they think about the strategy and all these things and they think about it 365 days a year. They're planning if there's, you know, in the in the water polo season starts in for women, it starts in what December, uh, you know, the end of last, you know, the end of the season before is when he starts planning for December. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just uh, it's impressive. So uh, obviously, I think you've probably seen some people carry that over into the business world. I mean, you look at. You know, pro sports are certainly the teams that seem to excel year after year, are the ones that have this really established, well thought out process. And they, they seem to have the ability to sort of take uh, uh, any player and plug them into that process and still succeed. Right. Like Belichick has a reputation in New England doing that. I mean, do you have examples that you see that in the sales world that people are doing the same thing that they've got, you know, this standardized process that, that just increases predictability regardless of who's plugged in? Totally. Next man up. Right. Right. Um, or let's say next person up. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that is your goal is that, um, you know, you've created a, a process, a step-by-step process and methodology. And you've, you know, if you sort of take that example we just went through and you've got, um, you know, you're looking at, you know, how it is that individual reps can take someone from zero to, to sale and, um, you know, what those steps are, um, how they move people from micro through micro steps in the sales process, one step at a time. And it's all very thoughtful and it's all very enabled so that, um, you know, you can, uh, it's just a matter of plopping the right people into the seats. Now it's like sports in that you, you, you have to get good players, but, uh, you know, if you take that Belichick mentality, and, and think about some of the fastest growing companies in the world, you know, and I, I just sort of made a comment about Salesforce, but look, Salesforce has a re- repetitive process, right? Mm-hmm. That um, they know works that they expect and enforce everyone to do. And they can predictably say, I mean, there's a famous story about Benioff when, um, he uh, he saw that Zendex was coming up and he wanted more customer service revenue. What did he say to the team? He said, I want you to hire 50 engineers and 50 salespeople. And here's what we're going to get for 50 salespeople. Because they could tell you exactly what revenue they would get for 50 salespeople, how many leads that person would need. you know. And it was, it's, it was just a matter of, at that point, hiring the heads. you know, Because we always joke, well... We want to, you know, from our point of view at Topo, we always say, well, we, you know, we want to help you build a process so that's not just about getting heads, right? But actually, the cool thing is once you have the process in, then it is about just get because you know, hey, if I put these people in and they come in and play for me, it's the right, it's the right person to come in and, and walk through this process. They will be successful and they will deliver me this type of revenue. But that takes real enablement. It takes a a a understanding of the as I said the the steps that it takes to go from zero to a hundred and more to enable them to tell them you know to give them the power to be able to handle those steps right whether that's a you know a PowerPoint deck a, you know a specific right. methodology objection handling also content you know everyone talks about content but they don't tell sales when to use it why and how it will help them well let's let's look at the you have these five key conditions for a standardized process so i thought it would be really useful to go through and and yeah. the first one is predictability right so you say know where sales is and what will happen next so what what do you mean by that 
So if you can, if you understand your sales process and we're all using it and we have this terminology, this understanding of what the steps look like, then, um, and we're tracking that, then we will know where sales actually is in a deal and what will happen next in that deal. So if you, just to give sort of big, big examples here, well, we can continue with Salesforce. So Salesforce does, the first step is they do this heavy discovery call. Mm-hmm. And they know from that discovery call, then the person will go into a demo slash presentation from there. Okay. Those are just taking those two steps. So if they see that the rep has X amount in the demo, it's not, it's either in or out. And, and that in means that they're going to go to the, you know, Prezo slash demo next. And so, because they all follow this path, right? And um, and by doing that, you know, a manager, a salesperson, the organization, everyone knows where they are and what will happen next, right? And what, and in some cases, when you're really scalable, they can tell how many of those next steps will actually turn into business. But that's a different story. So that's the idea, right? So right. the. Sales team will say, "Hey, there's seven steps to winning a sales deal." Um, and if he's at, if he or she's at step one, then the, then we know exactly what they're doing, and we know where they need to go, which is step two, and this is what it looks like. So that that's the idea: is we we're we're, we're predictable. We know kind of where we are and what will happen next um, in the sales process. It's not hero selling, right? It's not, oh my God, you, do you see what so-and-so did? Although, you know, while that happens, we know sort of at scale, at mass, if they're at two, they're going to move to step three, right? And mm-hmm. now it's, we know the percentage of those that happen. We know exactly it's very predictable based on kind of where sales is and what happens next. Right, right. And so then sort of precondition to that is, is optimizing your process, defining it. Yeah. And, and this is the problem I see. I mean, I did a survey of 300 companies and 72% had no defined sales process. So I'm sure you see that all the time. Andy, that's so funny. I think I came in at 68%. (laughs) So I think I'm verifying your data. Yeah. And it's, and uh, did you ask sales leaders? Uh, yeah, they're primarily were sales leaders, right? It's funny, huh? Because they'll admit um, they, they, uh, they know they need it. They know how important it is. You know, <laughs> and then they admit to us three out of four admit to that. Ah, <laughs> well, actually, in, in mine, about forty percent said they were just basically making it up as they went along. Oh, jeez. So, so you have to be able to have to define a defined process is one of the key conditions for totally having predictability. Yeah, common terminology, um, uh, defined terminology, defined process steps. You can't optimize. I have this example. You got me on the sports team. You know, one thing I learned when I was coaching, so uh, we had, so I, you know, as I mentioned, I worked for this guy, John Tanner, mm-hmm. who had all the coaches. I was just doing the high school, the club team, but all the coaches had to use the same terminology and train the, the, the fundamentals the same way. And we would have a famous player come in and do a quick clinic and it confused the players because even though it was a really good technique, right? It, it changed the terminology. It, it like, it didn't help that it was really interesting to see them not do it. Right. Because it was, it, it didn't sort of, they, they, they understand the context. When we define everything, they understand the context of what we're trying to optimize. And when we bring in a new person who's got a different terminology, a different point of view, 
you can't optimize. And I always think of that, that, that it was a learning from, um, from the days of sports. It's the same thing in your sales process. If we're not looking at the same thing, then it's really hard to optimize. With the same and, understanding in mind. Right. You can't talk about it. Right. It's just too hard. Well, and the next step to that, you talk about a key condition is onboarding, is you need to then, which is a part that kills me because companies don't do it, is you need to train your reps to the process. <laughs> well, it's good, for, it's good for you and I. We get business, but it's <laughs> not. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, the, you know, we believe in process-driven enablement um, for all the reasons you and I have just talked about, that uh, having the context of, when you're going to apply a methodology or a tactic and why and where it gets you is, in our opinion, uh, more effective than, you know, bringing guys like us in to help them see the world in a different way. You know, um, although that's not unhelpful, I actually think it's helpful, mm -hmm. but, but they get really good when we think of each step in the sales process and what goes into it and how they need to be successful. And when you onboard and train them against the process, you know, we find that it's um, it's a it's a it's a better way to onboard reps, and and they understanding the process is often glossed over. I, you know, I'm sure you see this where even companies that have a defined process, it's kind of in the back of the book, you know, or it's a Salesforce exercise, a CRM exercise, right. and uh, you know, I just don't I just don't believe that. Um, and um, well, it's defined by their. <laughs> The stages they have in their forecast model, right? <laughs> That's their process. But, but I've seen, you know, the good news is, is in a, you know, I've seen the great companies do this, and um, the process is as important as anything, and um, and uh, to train them like, on it and against it, it will actually make all of your other training um, more successful as a result as well. But the but to to the point of this is, if you create a sales process, you train them on it you onboard them against the process and so that they're running it from day one. Right. And I think one of the real key elements of that that you dig down into further than is under your enablement condition is, is defining what a stage is. And then you have four elements of a stage, the last one of which I think is, is perhaps missing most often. So four elements you add to the stage is action, plays, context, and exit criteria. And I, I think that exit criteria is so critical because too often... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, people don't understand. They just sort of think, well, yeah, we're we're at that next stage because, you know, we you know, we did took this action, but it, it didn't correlate to anything that and from the customer's perspective. Right, right. Exit criteria, you're a smart guy, I can tell. Um it's amazing, isn't it? It's the it's uh it's so important to the process to understand what it what it takes to you know what that criteria is to get this stage done and move on to the next step and uh and it's often um well none of this is often defined so so we were just talking about exit criteria and and you know one of the things that that I really liked when I heard you talk about that and it's something that you know I talk about in my books and so on is that you know when you study the decision of how people make or the science of how people make decisions is you know, there's one school of research has found that you know at each step of a, each stage of making a decision, customers have certain criteria that need to be met, <laughs> mostly right. in the form of information. They're right. not they're not going to move to the next stage until right. those information requirements are met. So, 
so often when you see a sale say, okay, well, you know, I gave them the proposal, so they're now at this stage. And it's like, well, yeah, but, you know, they're still waiting for you back here at the previous stage because you didn't, you know, give them the information they needed to make that mental jump to the next one. And if you're wondering why they're not responding to the proposal, that's why. Yeah, totally. It's, uh, well, you said it better than me. That's right. Um, and one of the things that I, um, we do see that's a different problem. And it sort of speaks to the point you just made, which is, um, so where I am in Silicon Valley, everyone wants to hire someone at Salesforce. So I was just complimenting Salesforce on how great their sales process is. Mm -hmm. You can't plop it in to everywhere because the buyers and what they need, right, in their process are different for different, you know, whether, you know, for example, at Salesforce, uh, the brand Right, it certainly changes the reactions buyers have in the sales process. They're exactly. much farther along in their thought process, and if you plop that process into, let's say, an evangelistic sale where nobody, there's no market yet, um, you have to really evangelize the problem, not just the solution. Um, that process may not work. The buyer needs, as you said, the buyer has requirements to sort of move to the next step. And so, you know, it's a different problem than we were talking about before, which is many people don't have it defined. Also, you know, if you do hire someone who's defined it before, they can't just take um, a, exa the exact blueprint of what they did before and then plop it into this new situation for exactly what you said, which is we got to understand the, the buyers and the market and what they're going to need for us to help them advance to the next step and document that and make sure they get that as part of the exit criteria. And that's, you know, look, as you know, there's a lot of standardization against that. We, you know, we see enough that there's a lot of things that are the same, but there's also enough that's different that it's important to infuse, you know, what the buyers, you know, to really understand what your buyer is going to need um, to move to the next step and what their checklist is, as you said, and then, you know, make that as part of your specific uh sales process definition and the exit criteria and all the plays, et cetera, that go along with it. Well, yeah, and to sort of digress a little bit from what you had said is, is sort of another message in there for people that are listening that's saying, okay, we're sort of in the situation where maybe a startup, we're, we're looking at building out our team, is you, you also have to be careful who you hire into this because, yeah, you may reach out to a big successful company like a Salesforce, but you know, the people don't always translate back into your environment. Because some people are a product of the process they use. Totally. Isn't that interesting? I, uh, I remember Tim McAdam, who was our, our VC at um, company we founded called Tippet, And uh, we were looking at sales leaders. And uh, we sent him one to go, you know, he was our lead VC. Sure, and sure. met him and he came in. He's like, and we said, well, what's your feedback? He said, guys, uh, where you guys are right now, um, you need what I would call, he called them knife fighters. He's like, uh, you need a knife fighter for this. He's like, this isn't, um, you're not in a scenario yet where you've got, you know, someone uh, who's used to the brand, who's used to, you know, uh, working with people from RFP and beyond. You need someone who's willing to dig in and, 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 and you know, knife fight for the lack of it. It's a, he probably doesn't use that term anymore. But, <laughs> yeah, but it's, maybe not politically exactly, correct, right? Right. It's exactly what you just said. Which was, and it was a learning, you know, and um, certainly something I've never sort of forgot. It's intuitive, but you, often people learn when it's too late, right? 
Um, but he was basically saying, yeah, the guys hit his number every, you know, got teams to their number, led world-class sales teams. But can he, is he the right person right now, right, as you guys start this business and the things that you're going to need right now to be successful? He was, he was right. And, uh, but it, it, it fits exactly kind of what you just said, which is, um, well, you know, uh, we got to make sure that it's not just, certainly we all like validated um, backgrounds. Like we like to feel good, you know, we need to feel good about that. Um, but that background um, and that the DNA and the experience that this person has, has to sort of fit where we are as a company and where the market is in general. And uh, that's really important. Yeah. I mean, there's a story I tell, I'm sure people on the show have heard me tell it before is, is, and this was in a, a story that was told in a Harvard Business Review article about sales a number of years ago about uh, how you should hire your your sales leader. And the story was about this landscape architect that was hired to create this green space at this university. And it comes in, brings in the plows and the tractors, and they move everything around. And there's day comes for the big unveil with the administration. And they look at this big, beautiful green space. And the one administrator says, well, where are the sidewalks? And he says, well, we're going to wait for you and see what people walk and then put the sidewalks there. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that tells you, you got to have some sense of what you need in terms of the person you hire. <laughs> you know, just uh, this, this temptation always to startups, you know, let's go, let's go hire somebody to lead sales as opposed to let's go sell something first and then hire somebody to lead sales. <laughs> oh man, I love that. <laughs> I'm not going to use it since it sounds like you use it all the time. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> so there was a, a comment that that uh, your co-founder and CEO at, at Topo used during the, the conference that I thought was really interesting. And I don't know if you had heard him say, he talked about uniquely human sales skills. Yeah. And, I, and I thought that was a really interesting because at the conference, there was a lot of talk about automation and all sales conferences these days, a lot of talk about automation and technologies and so on. But but there are these these sets, I believe, of of uniquely human sales skills that that uh, aren't going to be replaced. But it seems like there seems like there's much less focus on these these days. Yeah. So what what's your take on that? I mean, I, and what do you see as sort of the implications for you know automation for long term development of sales profession? Yeah. So what a catch, huh? You can tell he's smarter than me. That's why he's the I've you know found a. Um, a couple companies with him, you can see why I follow him. That's just a really incredible word set of words or phrase. You know, the uniquely human skills. I, I do. Here's what I'm seeing, Andy. Is actually, um, I think automation is the talk, um, and um, we've seen we've seen some companies sort of come up in the Valley really successfully with, um, poor selling skills, but highly automated, uh, you know, low, low selling price, but, um, you know, uh, a hot sort of SaaS product, mm -hmm. low selling skills. And one thing it's been really good for our business is, um, you know, number of companies are bringing in real chief revenue officers and, um, you know, folks that have a little gray hair, and those guys always bring us in and they say exactly what you and I, you know, what you just brought up is um, they're actually not tech focused. Uh, they're 
engagement focused? You know, how can we engage better and more with our prospects? We just did a mini survey where the data is not released, but I can just tell you that it was about tech. And what we learned was that these, and we went to the top instead of sales ops, you know, mm-hmm. sales ops kind of dominates, you know, the, the, the blogosphere and the right. talk, they, you know, they speak, you know, it's hard to get a CRO to come speak, right? That person's out there trying to get business. Um, and uh, so we wanted to talk to them about their views on tech. And what they said was, uh, no, my, you know, if you want to sell me tech or sell my organization tech, that's, that's fine. But all I care about is how we engage with our customers and, and can we engage with more customers and, and, and is it valuable? And, uh, and, and so you can see that, that uh, there's a, a mini mentality change in many of the companies that we're working with where they, they sort of came up quickly without the thinking the world could be automated, thinking salespeople could be totally commoditized. And they bring in a CRO who says, well, how are we engaging with them? Is it valuable? What are, you know, how are we connecting with them? Are we building real relationships? And so I don't think I've seen a full switch, but um, it's been, you know, one of the drivers, it's one of the triggers in our businesses when, you know, they bring in someone who's been in sales for a long time and they're saying, uh, we haven't, we've been so focused on automating everything, but we haven't focused on what we say to customers, how we say it, how we connect with them, how does the relationship end up? And so that's been um, refreshing. And certainly I'm, I'm going to call that actually, I'm going to go out on a limb and call that a trend as we start to see the, uh, the data, you know, from these, the, the actual sales leaders where to them, it's not, it's the tech out there is if you're going to use tech, then the reason we're going to use it is because it's going to allow my salespeople to drive better engagement in these, you know, with the, with our prospects and with our buyers. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, cause we, you know, I talked to a lot of, a lot of the companies up here in the Bay area are very automation centric and they have a sales sort of ops tech um, bent to them. They have lots of applications um, and they say, well, you know, what can we do better? And um, um, it's, you know, can we, you know, how, how do we drive better engagement is, is often the answer. And, and you know, um, it's just really important. So anyway, net net, I, I feel like we thought we were going to commoditize and or, you know, there's all these stupid quotes about how sales is going to in 2000, whatever. 2020, million, million so, B2B sales jobs disappearing. It's, it's so stupid. <laughs> um, I mean, it's unbelievable. I And not because I'm a fan of the space, but I, you know, look, the bot, you know, everyone said, oh, the buyer, because the buyer wants to buy online. No, no. They, if they get a great salesperson, they it become they become partners they love it and and it's just we see it still to this day it's it's so important that they create the salesperson is that 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 bridge between the organization and the customer and when done right it's so valuable to the buyer it's just i mean you know this oh, I mean, yeah. like, well my first book was all about that you know the salesperson yeah. is the first line products become commoditized salesperson becomes the first line of differentiation Absolutely. Yeah. And, and how, how, how amazing is this? Because, you know, I live in tech where I'll go in and I'll say, well, what, how do you differentiate from your, um, 
from your competitors. It's so the development cycles are so fast right now. Mm-hmm. It's such a fine line. It's incredible, right? If you have six to twenty competitors in the market, it, ugh, man, it is pretty close, right? Well, and, yeah, uh, if, you, if you don't have six, you will soon. Yeah, exactly. Because the barrier to entry is so low that anybody can do it. And you're right. The salesperson and how they partner with the buyer is the differentiator. And um, it's just so – it's not going to die. It's actually – if it'll be an advantage to the people that realize that it's uh, – how critical it is and, and enable their reps to build real relationships. It'll be their competitive advantage, right? Um, yep. And uh, so, yeah, the uniquely human sales skills, that will never die. It just won't. Because um, if you're going to buy something, uh, being having a real partner in that versus just a piece of tech or a piece of machinery or a, you know whatever it is that you sell, um, you know you, the the customer is looking for a real business partner, and that's the salesperson's job, and and that just won't go away. Okay, Craig, we're going to move into the last segment on the show where I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests, and the first one is a hypothetical scenario where you, Craig, have just been hired as VP of sales at a company whose sales have stalled out. And the CEO is anxious to get things unstuck and turned around. So what two things could you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? Oh, man. You did warn me you were going to make, you were, you were going to make me think. <laughs> um, so, uh, so the, I think if I were going to, you know, as we sort of, talked about mixing old school and new school, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite story is, uh, and I'm, I keep using Salesforce, it's not, it's an accident, it's not because I'm obsessed with them, but my favorite was Jim Steele, there's this story about, he's the you know famous uh, COO president mm-hmm. there. It was his first week on the job, and uh, he was in there, and he was in his office, and Benioff walked in and said, what are you doing here? And uh, the guy said, oh, I'm just trying to get my feet wet and understand what's going on, and he said, uh, hey man, I'm going to pay you a lot of money to go meet every customer you can. So I don't want to see you in the office for a while. And uh, (laughs) I just love that story because they've just been such a huge success. And I I do believe that, um, uh, you know, step one to really understand what's going on is to, um, is to not just, you know, get a lay of the land on what's happening with sales, but is to go, you know, set a quantifiable number of, prospects and customers that you will meet in that first week or two. And uh, the reason why it's a it's a double whammy, in my opinion, is because, um, as you know, often there's all this hidden gold and just a different or better conversation with people. So there's probably upside to the pipeline in those conversations. But more importantly, as we just said, if you're going to go and lay down a a process. It's important to understand kind of what the buyers do, and I think you know sales leaders often pay guys like us to go figure that out. But there's nothing more valuable than going and engaging with them yourself and looking them in the eye and understanding, um, you know, kind of how they came to talk to us, what their perception is, what they you know what they thought we could do better, how they would buy our products, what mm-hmm. sort of like, and those things. So I feel like that's a double whammy for upside. I, I do see that. Um, as uh, uh, as a huge first thing you go do, and it also you earn the respect of the sales reps out of the gate. And you just exactly. show that you're you're uh, focused on engagement, um, and so that that would be number one. 
absolutely positively, you know, number one. And then, um, from that, you know, I would start to, uh, start to sketch what I believe to be the early steps of the process. And the reason why people always go, well, don't you want to gather information? I always say, well, um, you know, when detectives, you know, everyone thinks detectives go and investigate to figure out the truth, but they're actually going in there to figure out whether you're guilty or not. And if you, with that context, (laughs) they can be faster. And so if you have an idea of where you want to take it and you're focused on, laying out the process out of the gate instead of going in and columboing and looking for those little nuggets, it takes too long. Instead, you know, you want to come in and say, uh, you know, what, what should I be looking at? And once you do that and you can lay that out, then you can, you know, I often will go in and say, well, let me see what's happening in the pipeline today. But if you don't sort of think about it in terms of where you want to go, it's actually not, it's valuable, but it's more valuable if you're thinking about everything in the context of building that plan. Okay. Excellent answer. All right. So some rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers if you want. The first one is when you, Craig, are out selling Topo services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Discovery. Who's your sales role model? <laughs> uh, I'll give you a random one. I, uh, uh, um, Vince Vaughn, the actor. <laughs> if you watch him in his movies, right. he is ultimate buyer-centric salesperson. Yeah, it, <laughs> that's a great answer. <laughs> yeah, well, he would, in uh, old school, he, he had the uh, electronic store, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the one, the, the one I love is that Google movie. If you watch the scene in the pizza parlor, yeah. they transformed it to, this is a uniquely human skills. Or what was missing in that sales process. And so that, All right. that's. All right, we'll have to go back and look at that one again. So, uh, one book every salesperson should read Sales Mastery by Barry Trailer or any book you've written. All right, thank you. And uh, what's on your playlist these days? What music are you listening to? <laughs> well, I now look, I came up in the hardcore West Coast gangster rap era, and I and as I am that 44 year old man driving the kids to school, listening to like Tupac and Dr. Dre and Snoop and those guys, and I still do. So, All right. I'm that that guy. You're that guy with the, the loud bass in the car. No, <laughs> <laughs> kids wearing kids wearing headphones so they can uh, they can ride to the private school with that going. <laughs> All right. Well, good. Well, Craig, thanks for joining me. Uh, Tell folks how they can find out more about you and Topo. Yeah. So you can, um, you know, go to topohq.com to learn more about Topo. Uh, That's the best place, frankly. And then for me, I think the best thing is to just follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn. But uh, my Twitter handle is Funnelholic. So at Funnelholic. And with that is the Funnelholic.com blog. But I don't update it as much, Andy. So that's why I I push people more to the Topo HQ where I'm spending more of my time. All right. Good. Well, thanks. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And one easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine, whether you listen in the commute, on your gym, or make it part of your morning sales meeting. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Craig Rosenberg, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your sales. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. 
For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com. 